This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. Thank you for joining us tonight. We'll have a, a recorded interview from yesterday with U.S. Congressman Joe Garcia playing for most of this hour. At the end of the hour, we've got Mark A. Caputo, the senior political reporter for the Miami Herald. And at the top of the 8 o'clock hour, we've got an interview with 305 Cafecitos' Jenny Lee Molina. This is the only in Miami show. And please stick around. We're going to go pre-recorded right now with Congressman Joe Garcia. The Only in Miami show is brought to you by Morningside Mortgage. For more information, check them out online at www.morningsidemortgage.com. We're here with Congressman Joe Garcia, who represents Miami, Florida's 26th Congressional District. Joe, thank you for coming on the show today. It's a pleasure to be with you. So, Joe, our audience is very engaged online. Could you please tell us the best way to reach you on Twitter and your website? All right. So our our, um, congressional website uh, is garcia.house.gov. And that's our, our official congressional. And then my, my Twitter handle is Rep Joe Garcia. It's at Rep Joe Garcia. And both of those are, are pretty active. You can reach us there and uh, we'll get back to you. Uh, uh, you can go to our Facebook, which is Congressman Joe Garcia. And that's pretty active, too. They're all sort of working with each other. And it's a great way to, to talk. And let me know what's going on. Tell me what you thought of this show. Tell me where you think I'm right. Tell me where I think I'm wrong. And uh, and I understand that you run your own Twitter account. We do. We do. Uh, you know, I, I sometimes I've got to let uh, people help me because we get so much. And so we, 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 we farm it uh, out. But most of the time uh, we're trying to follow and, and hit it ourselves. Tell our listening audience a little bit about the new 26th Congressional District. Well, I am the southernmost congressman of the United States. I represent all of South Dade, which is uh, 8th Street South, uh, 87th Avenue West, and uh, what's north of US-1 until I hit Homestead, and then all the Florida Keys belong to me. And that, uh, So it basically is the southernmost congressman of the country and, uh, and uh, represent what is um, Westchester, Kendall, the Redlands, Homestead, Richmond Heights, uh, parts of Goulds, Naranja, a little bit of Cutler Bay, uh, Homestead, Florida City, and then all the Florida Keys. That's a pretty large territory. How do you make it to all those events and, and visit all those constituents? Lots of miles. Lots of miles. We drive around an awful lot. Uh, my, my official residence is in Key West because I've got to go down there a lot. And so... Uh, in order to save money to the office, we, we I rented a, a little apartment, uh, and uh, it's just six blocks from um, um, Duval Street. So uh, I spend a little bit of time there just to see folks there. And uh, what we do is we, we try to break it up pretty evenly. I grew up in Westchester and spent a huge part of my life there. Uh, so I know that area really well. And, uh, you know, we just uh, – this weekend we spent a, a great amount of time um, – in the area of the Redlands, we were at the Asian Cultural Festival. Just spent some time with the Thai ambassador who came to see us in Washington. And 
uh, told us that he was coming down, so we wanted to receive him. And it's a it's a great event. It's been going on for 24 years. You know, um, it's it's an incredible place, and it's so diverse, right? Uh, it's a district that's 60 percent, 61, 62 percent Hispanic, 24 uh, percent Anglo. 10% African American and then it's got a, a few points uh, uh Asian and uh and uh, so it's it's just phenomenal and and that diversity you know is all over the area right so the northern part of the district is uh, very Hispanic Cuban uh the 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 Kendall area is very Latin American South American a lot of Colombians and uh, and Puerto Ricans and Caribbeans uh, then you got uh, the 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 rural part of the, the 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 district, which is that the Redlands Homestead. Most people don't know this is the most productive agricultural land in the state of Florida per acre, and uh, you know I'm 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 proud to represent that and the farmers there, and it's just wonderful area. So it's and, a true melting pot. Oh, district. it is, it is. And then it, then you got the Florida Keys, where I have commercial fishermen, where I have resorts where I have people who wanted to disappear, and so there they are, uh, hiding in plain sight. Well, it sounds like you really have people from all over the world all congregated over the world. into one very tall district. It takes probably, what, four to five hours to drive Four to five south. hours. I drive it at least three times a month. In other words, uh, bow to stern. And, uh, and I, you know, I enjoy it. I mean, it, it's, it's a place I grew I always say about the Keys, I said it, it was a place I would have lived if I could – figure out a legal way to make a living down there because uh, it's a <laughs> tough life. If you, you know, people in the Keys, are, um, um, you know, rents are very expensive. So people have to have two and three jobs. Um, you know, I love the Redlands area. I used to own a little farm in that area. So uh, what did you grow on your farm? It uh, longans. So longans are a type of um, a lychee fruit, hard outside shell. You open it up, has this white, really wonderful sort of translucent um, a fruit with a dark black seed in the middle, uh, and you sort of chew the outside of it uh, away from it. Uh, in in in, it's just phenomenal. It's a, it's a great tasting fruit. Uh, uh, we had a Japanese woman who literally um, she would do all the harvesting and the spraying because we really didn't know enough about it uh, when we we got it. But it was a beautiful little, almost three acre farm and. Uh, um, my former father father in law now now is retired on it. He loves being there every day, and so my my daughter plays on it a lot, and and my niece and nephew. But it's a it's a it's a beautiful area, and uh, you know, so you get a little bit of everything there, right? You get what is the beach life in the Keys. You get, uh, you know, the very rural uh, sort of deep south, although it's deep south, but they grow uh, um, uh, tropical fruit, right? So and sure. unlike almost any other place in the country. Seasons go all year, right? Because there we we don't have a winter, right? So we're in circulation all year, right? There are fruits some time of the year. We just came out of the um, squash uh, and uh, cucumber season just finished. Um, um, uh, the you can you're down there right now, and the avocado trees and the mango trees have their the the they're flowering, getting ready for to begin the fruits. Uh, so it's just all year long. It's phenomenal. A lot of little small farms, a lot of organic farms, which is one of the things uh, that we're trying to do. And then, you, you know, you got areas like um, uh, Westchester, which are just, you know, families. It's huge transition. Right? Families and, and, and lot college of, students like Florida A lot of college students. Where you got FIU there, which is, you know, like the rock in the north there. And you've got their expansion, which is, you know, what they're going to call University City, which is basically the area – of Sweetwater, and we've helped get uh, 
uh, federal funds to make sure we can have that transit hub that they're going to create. There, you know, it's a great university that's coming in uh, and that is growing. When I was a kid, I, it was an empty airfield that my dad used to go to school there. That I, we our home was a few blocks away from there. So that's where I spent a lot of my time. Um, you've got the Kendall area, which you know is already full out, but you know it's one of the one of those fantastic areas where you have um, a, it's in essence a bedroom community of the city, a suburb. But then you got little uh, businesses and 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 things out there that are key. Um, uh, then you got Homestead, which is now you know doing gangbusters in Florida City, right? Uh, which is very rural, but it's where all the land is left and all the land that you can build on. And so they're having. Huge uh, neighborhoods come in, and you know you you look at if you know that area. You got Roberts is here, which is a, a great a fruit uh, stand, and uh, if you look at all the area around Roberts, it's already been platted for homes. So right, there's Knott's Berry Farm down there. Correct. There's uh, Glazer Organic Farms is in South Dade as well. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. Uh, they run the Coconut Grove uh, uh, Farmers Market every weekend on Saturdays. So yeah, I mean it's it's wonderful to have fresh produce that's locally grown. And most people don't realize it's all just grown 30 or 40 miles to the south. Absolutely. You know, and then you've got places, um, you know, the, the the fascinating thing about it is that um, a good friend of mine, um, uh, Leonard Abbas, um, he, he is um, this. He used to own City National Bank and he sold it. And he's the one that the president of the United States recognized in his first State of the Union about a guy who'd given a lot of money. When he sold his company to his uh, the employees, to his employees, yeah. he gave uh, what ten percent of the the entire sale to it his was employees. A huge chunk of change, and uh, but one of the things Leonard believes, and he's done, is he believes that all great cities have to have agricultural land nearby, and so he's uh, he's been buying large tracts of land and then leasing it back to farmers. And making sure that the UDB doesn't move. He doesn't want it to move. He wants his land to stay Now, you mentioned something very important locally. The the UDB is the uh, – please explain it for our listening audience. Urban boundary line. Uh, the the, the ur- ur- urban development boundary line. Right. And, it's the urban development boundary. And, uh, and Set by the, the county. The county. And the idea is that thing that you can't build on the other side of this line. And uh, it's, Well, as I understand it, you're allowed to build, what, uh, one home for every five acres of land? Right. If you're west of this urban development And there are, there are different areas there too. But uh, it's one of the things that – you know, I worry about particularly in the, the Redlands area because, you know, you, you see a lot of these farmers that have been at it a very long time. And, and, and as they get out of it, people come and then just buy their farm and they turn it into, you know, a, a retreat home or something like that. But they, they get out of the business. And I Well, I, there's been rampant speculation over the last decade or two, especially during the, the real estate boom 10 years ago. Which it's back. You know, we're going we're gonna to see a lot of that because you're seeing it now. In the core of the city, right? Prices are just shooting up. You know, this, we live in this amazing place, right? Where the where the weather is perfect, uh, particularly this time of year. Um, uh, we also live in a place that's so international, right? That every time of the year, we're, we're the middle plane, right? So in in winter in Latin America, uh, people come here because and it's summer here. It's summer here, and and uh, and uh, when it's winter in the rest of the country, it's still summer here. So. You know, you get all these folks coming through here and it creates – now we've got a great cultural backdrop to that. You know, we've got an art scene that's spectacular. And so all that brings people to our community and it's, of course, uh, making our land values go up. Because, not not because we're – I mean, obviously, there's a lot of South Floridians coming in. But, of course, the rest of the world has discovered this uh, f- wonderful place. Well, 
That's a great point you bring up. And I would say, furthermore, people from South America come here when it's raining, when it's raining in their country. And and I'm not talking about the weather. I'm talking about when there's disturbances or problems. And recently, there's been a crisis in Venezuela that we reported on with a special report, hashtag Venezuela SOS. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the Venezuelan protests and hunger riots going on today? Well, look, I, um, I'm, I've got a lot of friends that are Venezuelan, and we've watched Venezuela for many years. As you uh, might guess, I've been involved with sort of human rights in Latin America as my work uh, on Cuba and as uh, as someone who ran the Cuban-American National Foundation, the Cuban Exodus Relief Fund. And so I've watched um, Venezuela when Chavez came in. And uh, when Chavez first came in, uh, he accused me of trying to have him assassinated. Uh, you know, uh, so I got caught up in a little bit. You did bit a very of, poor job I of did that. A, I did a, 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 an incredibly, remarkably bad job of that. But the the reality is that um, that these folks, you know, our country has a very Eurocentric vision. And so you... We've been watching Kiev for the last uh, month or two, and we haven't been watching what's going on in Venezuela, which is in our backyard. I call it the um, the inverse Monroe Doctrine. Because it is ours, we therefore don't care, right? Uh, if there's a fire, we may go back there with a hose, but it's, it's our backyard, right? Well, we, you know, Secretary of State John Kerry in November declared the Monroe Doctrine defunct. Yeah. He said that we're not going to intervene anymore in Latin America and that – Outside influences are fairly welcome to get involved, whereas it used to be considered the United States' quote-unquote sphere of influence. Well, look, I, I don't doubt that it's our sphere. And, and long term, uh, in the next 30 to 40 years, the same sort of Eurocentric vision that America has today I think is going to shift markedly towards Latin America. First, because uh, of the na- na- the resources that are there, right? Human talent natural resources, and just growth opportunity, right? It's a, it's a sparsely populated, populated area of the world. Uh, there are uh, tremendous market opportunities. American products are, are uh, of great value there. We doubled our exports uh, two years ago. So Latin America, I think the same way we look at Europe today, we're, we're going to look at Latin America 30, 40 years from now. And Miami will be on the leading edge of that, which is – we look to our future and we see Latin America, right? Our business opportunities, our natural resource opportunities, our human capital opportunities. You see it here today, right? When in the past – You see it in Miami today. Exactly. All over the place. All over the place. People from Brazil, Argentina, Venezuela, Colombia, Panama, Costa Rica. All over the place. And and you see the search also for human capital, right? We're in the, we're in the past – we may have gone to New York to find someone, or we may have gone to California to find some artistic talent. Today, we find that artistic talent to the south. I can tell you that very many people, especially from Venezuela, because there's a lot of designers, like more so than many other countries from Venezuela, many of them have H-1B visas. And and that's another issue right. that I think you're on the forefront of, which is the immigration reform issue. Right. And it's And it's how we addressed... Of Venezuela initially, right? Because, look, we don't want to play uh, Goliath to uh, Nicolas Maduro's very pathetic David, right? And so, what we, what I believe, and what I, what I said is, yeah, we've got to do everything we can to support the civil society, but we had to to look at what we have before us. And as you know, if you deal with the Venezuelan community, a huge portion of them are here to stay. They've been here for over a decade, and so they're on a work visa. 
but their family's here because they've overstayed tourist visas, or they're on a deferred deportation order because they can't go back to Venezuela, or they're on a work visa for a business that no longer exists because the Maduro government took over that that business. Well, there's a Cuban Adjustment Act, which Correct. which that allows Cubans who uh, land in the United States to gain legal status and begin working almost immediately. Correct. But there's no a formal recognition for Venezuelans today who come here for political asylum. Basically, uh, is is there something that can? Well, be no, done? no, there is a there is the, the, America is a signatory to all the treaties, which in essence say, if you are. If you ask for asylum, you have a right unless your country is not a place where you, you fear. And uh, um, the the construct around it, uh, there are many Venezuelans who have received asylum. The problem is that, again, because our vision of Latin America is, well, there's not really much going on. We don't understand that there's been a, a, a very aggressive government against its civil society going on in Venezuela for a very long time, and many of the Venezuelans that are here were people uh, seeking uh, or fleeing persecution of their government, and so they have a right to ask for asylum, but our government has not been particularly generous in many cases in granting those asylums. Is there anything that the federal government can do today to formalize the process to make it easier for Venezuelans who are seeking political asylum to, well, we, to stay in the United States while this, this unrest is unfolding. Well, we initially put forward a bill, which was called the, the Venezuelan Liberty Act, which the idea was, look, we've got all these Venezuelans here. Um, some, went, some say upwards of, of several hundred thousand. Let's put a bill together to deal with all of them all at once when we deal with comprehensive immigration reform. As you know, I filed that bill, the Venezuelan Liberty Act. But as you also know, I am the author of the Democratic version of the Senate bill, which is H.R. 15, which is the comprehensive immigration bill in the House of Representatives. We have 197 co-sponsors. It's a bill that I think before the end of the year we're going to get done one way or another, uh, and it's very important to get done. And most Venezuelans would be part of that fix. Part um, of the greater part of the immigration greater fix. reform. But last week I sent a letter to the president saying, look, let's give direction to Homeland Security, which is the, the one that handles the – the processing of immigrants. The, the ICE. ICE. Right. Let's give them direction that Venezuelans are in fear of persecution, right? You've got to put it into context, right? And and we should relook at those cases and let them stay, those that are in those contexts, and give them a way forward because they're part of our community. I mean, you go to you go to Doral, you might as well be in a in a neighborhood of uh, Caracas. In a uh, you go to uh, uh, as Debbie Wasserman Schultz calls her district there, Westenzuela, right, uh, <laughs> where there are so many. Uh, Venezuelan. So the, or, this or Key Biscayne. Or, it's another hotbed. Yeah, a hot, they're everywhere. Uh, and, uh, sure, Miami and they're, Beach. And yeah. Exactly. And they're a great part of our community, right? This is a, a very entrepreneurial, very, uh, very hardworking, educated very educated. Exactly. With a very heavy, a heavy emphasis on design and engineering skills, That's which exactly is something right. that really is lacking in the city of Miami and in the Absolutely. state of Florida in general. And not that we lack for beauty queens, but they also come with beauty queens, which is very impressive. You know, <laughs> we, you know, you get one or two Miss Universes, you should get some extra credit uh, in the immigrant department, but uh, Venezuelans, and they're in a tough spot. And right, uh, you know, that's why... Uh, I, I was reading in the Huffington Post earlier today that there are government stores with fixed prices that have goods, and then private stores basically have nothing. Right, because the government is now controlling the importation, exportation, and doesn't allow capital to flow out of the country, so only the government can buy it. And so what you're doing, you're, you're having for the first time ever 
um, in Venezuela, food shortages. And, you know, Mr. Maduro's government isn't falling apart because of anything else except his incompetence. And, uh, and the, the incompetence of the regime that he inherited. I mean, no, there's no question he, in about 15 it. years of, of one uh, Chavista regime. Maduro has been around for maybe the last nine months officially of those. Yeah, yeah but oh, a year actually, a year. And this, this is week. one of the richest countries in Latin America in terms of natural resources. It's oil. You know, PDVSA, which used to be, which is the Venezuelan oil company, at one time was the seventh largest corporation on earth. It was we actually of, we interviewed the former uh, head of PDVSA last week. Okay, and and he was saying that they adopted some very very sensible policies to make public-private partnerships to benefit the people of Venezuela. And what happened? Chavez undid them and then, you know, released him from his position and then eventually claimed that he was trying to aid the enemy with, you know, yeah. these sensible policies. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's insane and it's a, it's a, 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 a disaster. And, and that's why the U.S. government has to step in. And by the way, people are arriving every day at our airport. Uh, they've got visas, as you well know. Venezuelans get um, many of them have those long-term visas, and they can't go back. So we're going to have to figure a way forward. And that was, you know, I met uh, with State Department uh, two weeks ago, National Security Council. I was in the White House last week, and it was all about this. Uh, and it's a very important thing. And I, I want to say this because I, I think it's pretty pathetic when people try to turn the Venezuelan suffering into part of the South Florida politics. I think it's beneath the dignity of the. Of, of my friends in the Republican Party. It's beneath the dignity of Democrats to try to do the same thing. Look, if there's something we have bipartisan understanding of in this community is when people come in fear of persecution, we, we've we been in many respects uh, generous to those who come here, and we've got to be more generous because we, we know uh, everyone in South Florida is in one form or another a refugee of somewhere else, whether you're a refugee of Fidel Castro or, or, or you're a refugee from Haiti or you're a refugee from New York, right? You're coming to this incredible, uh, vibrant community, which, which I think in many respects, while we, we get knocked on it, it, it is such a diverse and fantastic melting pot uh, uh, and represents, as I began when we were talking about this, as, as the new America, right? What is happening in South Florida is what is going to happen in almost every major urban center in the country, right? You're going to have a huge population shift uh, because of the incoming workers. It's, it's you know, in, in South Florida, it happened faster because you had a lot of middle class uh, and, and a lot of money that came with it. But it'll happen in L.A. in the next few years. It, it'll happen in, in, in San Antonio. It'll happen in Houston. It'll happen in Georgia. It'll happen in New York. It'll well, happen every, in Chicago. Every major American city at some point Mm -hmm. uh, was a melting pot city mm -hmm. or is today, and people don't really think of it that way. I mean, for example, I was in San Antonio last year during the NBA Finals, which mm -hmm. the Miami Heat won. Right. And uh, most of the, the San Antonians uh, have Mexican background or, you know, a, a lot of them. I a mean, I would say like two-thirds, and they're Americans. Right. They've lived in America for decades, well, if not centuries. Well, you know, it's it's the it's the fame, you know, the, the great line uh, – from the um, from Malcolm X, right? Uh, I, we didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on us. Well, the 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 truth is, many of the the, the historic Spanish Americans of the West, the, they didn't come to the United States. The United States came, came to, them. to them. Yeah, they they were they were there. I mean, um, you know, you look at um, um, former Senator Salazar from New Mexico. His family was a founding family of in Santa Fe, and. 
they were Spanish citizens. And uh, the, the Spanish-American War not only changed the border, but dispossessed them of their property uh, because they were Hispanic. And others came and claimed their land, and uh, it changed the dynamics. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tremendously rich and complex history. But uh, it's 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 one of the wonderful things about living in South Florida is that you're you're seeing that future change. And one of the you know I always say about South Florida is that you know you've got to want to be in in an adventurous place. If you want to be in a boring place, you're in the wrong. You move move north. Yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of places that, that are boring are, that are much quieter <laughs> than Miami. That's why this is the only in Miami show. There you go, and no. not only in Podunk. Yeah, that's right. There's uh, not no. much to talk about there. And and the truth and the truth is, um, you know, I said, uh, um, you know, the Anglo Americans that live among us, uh, which is you know one of those few places where you actually point them out that way. That live among us are the most exciting, wonderful people you'll ever meet because they get up every day and they know it's going to be an adventure. You're going to pull up to a McDonald's and no one behind the counter will be able to speak English, right? And yet you'll somehow get your McDonald's Happy Meal and it'll be great. Yesterday I was in a McDonald's in my district. Uh, the, the owner was with me and he was showing the McDonald's. And he introduced me to an employee of his that's worked for him for 25 years. This, is, this gentleman's an African-American. Who, who worked for McDonald's Corporation for 25 years, and he bought his franchises. And then he introduced me to this woman. He says, here's Marta. Marta's been with me for 25 years. We've worked together. Marta can't speak a lick of English, right? <laughs> and Marta yeah. came over, hugged him. You know, she, she's been working for him all this time. They, they started laughing together. They can't, you know, they can't communicate because he can't speak Spanish. But, you know, it's, it's it, people who, who, who enjoy that fun of it, right, the, the fun, the challenge. This is a great place, and and uh, we we've not only turned the corner, we're headed in the right direction, uh, and um, we're about to see one of those great um, uh, Miami miracle moments where where you know the art, uh, the sports, you know we're we're champions, uh, the art that's going to come here, the people that are going to come here, the movies, the all of it comes together around a, a fantastic community, and uh, we're all lucky to be part of it. Dr. Gigi's Radio Foundation presents Back to the 80s Freestyle Gala. Come dressed in your 80s best. Saturday, March 8th at the Palmetto Bay Village Center. Featuring live performances by Rudy Gill, Cynthia, and Johnny O. Dr. Gigi's Raise Me Up Foundation is a nonprofit organization that provides free programs and services to special needs children in the South Florida community. For ticket information, call 305-552-1200. That's 305-552-1200. Shifting gears. There's an issue that impacts one of the most important features of Miami and Florida in general, which is waterfront property. Uh, Anyone who has waterfront property is familiar with an insurance bill. Yep. And the insurance bills for windstorm coverage in the state of Florida already top the charts. They're the most expensive in the country. Brutal. And uh, it's mostly provided by citizens. The citizens' uh, risk pool has actually spawned just a a bunch of offshoots. So there's a bunch of small companies in Florida that try to compete. But there's one form of insurance that really has no other competition, and that's the National Flood Insurance Program also known as NFIP. Now, in 2012, 
there was a reform bill passed known as Bigert Waters. That reform bill is causing insurance premiums to rise for anybody that's inside of a flood zone today, which I think covers quite a lot of your district, especially in the Florida Keys. Absolutely, and uh, it, it was a bill. You know, it's it's sort of like if you try to write um, an insurance policy right after you've had a a major car wreck, right? You know, you're looking at all the bad things, and then you work that into your actuarial policy right away. And and then with the mindset that was in Congress at the time, and I want to be clear, I wasn't in Congress when Bigger Water was passed. I'm not. I didn't yeah, it was vote passed for by it. the last before, Congress. Yeah, this is a part. This this party was was done it was before passed I got by there. the Republican Congress. Correct. And and, and the, by the way, um, back then they were adhering very strictly to what's called the Haystert Rule, which is that. More the majority of the majority must support a bill to be brought to the floor. Correct. So this was very much a partisan bill. It, it, initially, it was, but eventually, okay. uh, what what got in there that's very partisan is the construct that no, there shouldn't be cross subsidization. So when when they wrote the policy, it it sort of missed the point that the reason you have national flood insurance is. We're trying to amortize the risk, amortize the risk across a lot of classes. So you're spreading the risk spreading out the risk. To, to different parts of the country, to different classes of property, on different bodies of water. All at the all same over. time so that you can lower it. And the idea behind national with flood insurance was precisely that it would make housing affordable for everyone, right? The problem is – that And by the way, in Florida, it's worked perfectly well. We've paid four more times into flood insurance than what we've taken out. So even though we're in Hurricane Alley, we get hit all the time, we, we, we've we been net uh, payers, uh, not recipients. So but, in other words, our responsibility to the flood insurance pool has been met. And there's money that we have, as Floridians, have set aside already to cover some unknown future flood events. Correct. But then – we had uh, Superstorm Sandy. And what that did is that a lot of people that weren't even in the system got paid out. How did that happen? Well, because, you know, they had small policies. It never happened. So the, their costs were so little. And so the payout was, you know, huge. $24 billion, I think, is the number where, where we're in debt. But what, what people don't see when they see that huge debt, what they don't see is the great benefit overall that us living by the water creates, right? The whole concept of coming to South Florida is that you're on the water. And so... Well, not only that, but it, it keeps areas from becoming blighted. Exactly. Like when there's a disaster, we can choose no, between you just, having that's exactly right. blight or, or reconstruction. Well, we saw this in Hurricane Anna, right? We saw yeah. this uh, people who got payouts and just got up and left, right? And uh, and then we had neighborhoods that sort of collapsed. And then it, you sure, know, N- Naranja, that, that was an area that's that exactly absolutely right. collapsed. Nobody that's exactly remained. right. And, and, and the reason you have good insurance, both uh, windstorm and flood insurance, is so the next day you're building again, the economy's moving, people can hold on, and, and, and we save communities. And, 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 and these programs create jobs, uh, lots absolutely. of jobs. And not only do they create jobs, but they create future, they create commitment, they, 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 they make these uh, things better. And more importantly to all of it, every time you rebuild, you make better, right? So, uh, you know, I, you know I, I love when people say, well, you know, I, th- there's a house, to give you an example of this flood insurance. There's a house in our district which is over 50 years old, which just got its flood insurance. 
and the flood insurance, the house's mortgage was 190000 but its yearly insurance bill was $36,000 a year. Think about that. Thirty six thousand dollars a year. A year for a home for a homeowner. For a homeowner, that's not the mortgage. That's just per year for the homeowner. Of course, it's absurd. Now this house has been there fifty years. So if it's a house in the Keys, it's been hit by a hurricane at least seven times, right? Just by the very nature of it. And this is a, this is a house that was flat, right? Sure. And the reason it was flat is the guy who bought it was a mechanic, and his wife is in a wheelchair, and so. You know, if you go to the Keys, right, any house that's been been built in the last 25, 30 years. They're all on stilts. They're all on stilts, right? right. But if you're in a wheelchair getting up to stilts, getting a on a difficult. ramp, yeah, right. you've got to get a head start the next block over. So the reality is he buys this house very perfectly. Now the bank is out of its money. He's out of his money because there's no way you can make this work. And so uh, my hope is, and I want to I want to be positive about this, is Bigger's Water the idea of sort of writing actuarial policies just for the policy as opposed to spreading the risk, which was the Republican uh, concept here. Uh, we're going to be able to stop it next week. I think we're going to bring a bill to the floor. What uh, what bill number is that so we can track the – I don't bill. know what the final bill is because the okay. Republicans are going to drop their own bill. They, of course, want to hold to some of their constructs. But they, they've got so many Republicans that have signed on to our fixed bill in the House – and they want it to be their bill. So they're going to bring a bill that's probably going to put this off so that we can study it and fix it and hopefully put people back where they were. It's not as good as as a broad bill that uh, we we filed, but I think it'll it'll give us some time to fix this cross-subsidization cross issue, which is key to, uh, to getting a policy that works. Now, you may not know, but I own a mortgage brokerage business. So I have many clients that are directly affected by these flood insurance problems. For example, I have one client who's an attorney and very unhappy because his flood insurance bill went from 2400 a year to $8,000 a year this year, very unexpectedly. Is there something in the bill that can be done to help these homeowners who have been shocked, yeah. absolutely shocked by, by the next year's bill? We, we hope so, right? Uh, we're, we're still waiting. I put together a bill which is much more comprehensive to fix this problem. Um, my, my hope is that the Republican bill that will be out next week is going to be um, not as good as what we put forward but does a lot to put this off and to find a long-term fix for this. But the fix comes to going back to what the program was all about. The program was all about spreading risk, making sure that everybody was in a pool, and making sure everyone was protected. And uh, my hope is that in the in the next few days – the Republicans will at least stop these increases and then give us some time to really study how we, we do this long term. Now, you've talked about working with the House Republicans, and I think that anybody listening who's interested in politics knows that the last four years have not exactly been a hallmark for bipartisanship. However, since the end of the government shutdown in October of 2013, it seems to me that there's been a break in the tension. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the bipartisan things that you're working on, and not just the flood insurance bill, but other matters? Well, look, um, one of the things that we try to do since we got there, right, is that I always say to friends that uh, there aren't that there are always um, two ways to do things, and it's not the right way and the the left way. It's not the conservative way or the Republican way or the Democratic way. It's the right way or the wrong way. And most problems in life, 99.9% uh, .9 of problems in life, uh, have no ideological bent, right? There's only one way to paint a wall. It's the right way, right? 
And uh, what we try to do all the time is find folks to work with that have a problem. And, um, you know, I, I found that when you come at problems that way, you find that uh, most people uh, want to work with you. Now, there's this deep ideological drive that finds itself today in, in, in a lot of the discourse in Washington. And I, I think it's, it's truly unfortunate because, I, I, you know, I'll engage in, 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 in banter with anyone about my, my ideological views. But they, they rarely move anything except uh, the people who agree with you, right? And so we, we do it all the time, right? Uh, sign up. For example, I, I believe in the Affordable Care Act. I, I am a believer. I know what it is to have someone with cancer that's close to me. I know what it is to have someone who doesn't have insurance be faced with these things. I also know that uh, the president didn't pick up ACA uh, from from God on the Mount, right? He Actually, the president just copied what Mitt Romney implemented in Massachusetts. Exactly. And it was an idea created by the Heritage Foundation. And I know they haven't been up on the mountain with God. So the, the reality is that what we have to do is find ways to fix it. And so I do it all the time. I voted for a bunch of, of, of Republican fixes that I think would make healthcare better. But, uh, but what I do know is that if you approach things this way, you tend to argue less. Now, there are a, a bunch of opportunities to engage in some very important debates about the direction of our country's ideology. But most of the time, the bills that, uh, that we want to be looking at are things that fix it. So I'll give you a classic example, which we touched on earlier, which is comprehensive immigration reform. This is probably one is the the civil rights issue of our time, more, more so because the the gay issue sort of has it, we're watching it vanish before us, right? We're watching it, it, it's like a melting of a glacier, exactly. almost like it exactly. was. It's global warming, heavily on, frozen on for, for decades, exactly. and now it's gone. It's, it, it's it, almost it, gone. It's almost. I mean, gone. It's, it's gone across the pond, but it's not. Exactly. It's not. No, but you're seeing yeah, it the, work the its way is, out, right? And you're seeing people migrate very quickly on on this issue and i think the immigration issue it's there's what 10 or 12 million people that are in the united states that's like three percent of the population and and they are and they're here illegally without papers exactly and you know the the other day i was with a debate with a colleague uh, and a republican colleague and she says well joe you know trying to because all these things are analogies right trying to make them simple and he says well joe if somebody broke into your house you'd want them punished and i said well it depends Somebody broke into my house, um, uh, took care of my grandmother, uh, tucked my kids in and took them to school, filled my refrigerator with fresh fruit and vegetables, cleaned the living room, then went outside, mowed the grass, cut the lawn, and put the roof on the house. I think I'd owe them money as opposed to want them to be punished. Well, not only they're that, an essential they're, they're paying element. rent too. Exactly. They're an essential element of our community. We trust them with our kids. We trust them with our families. We trust them with our food. And, and we need them. Right for someone my age, I and I don't want to betray how old I am, but for someone my age to be able to retire 15 years from now, I not only need to legalize the 11 million that we're looking at, find them a pathway forward, but I probably need another 7 million in the next 15 years to somehow legally come into the system, so that the system is rich enough to take care of of me, of Joe Garcia, when I retire. And that's not bad. That's a good thing. In fact, we know that it's one of the good things about our economy, that we create jobs, we move forward, our, our population moves forward. And so you look at this problem. 
which is deeply ideological to a portion of the Republican Party. Right? It's not ideological to Eliana. It's not ideological to Mario, the two other uh, Republican congressmen from down here, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Frederica Wilson. They get it. Uh, but it's it's deeply ideological to a portion of our country. And, of course, the these sort of Tea Party guys are holding this issue hostage. And they're, they're putting in these terms of, well, we can't give amnesty uh, because it – well, here's what we know. We know that if we legalize these people, our economy in the first decade gets over $170 billion of new revenue. In the next 10 years, so in the, in the first two decades, we get about $870 billion of new revenue. And, and mind you, doesn't that mean we can cut down on some of the enforcement costs? We can cut down on the enforcement costs. We can cut down on the debt costs. Let me give you an enforcement issue. You know what the safest city in America is? No. It's El Paso, Texas. Really? Do you know what the most dangerous city in the world is? Juarez, which is on the other side of the border, right? You know, the Republicans, by funding the border, have done the impossible. They proved communism can work, right? If you give everyone a good government job, crime disappears. Uh, but, but the reality is that isn't the point of it, right? So the average arrest rate. For an INS officer, for an ICE officer on the El Paso border, is three arrests a year, right? Because, of course, there's no one there to arrest. We would put, so when we had the government shutdown, 50,000 people were, were not working in El Paso. That's how many people work for the government in El Paso. We are spending money on the border in a crazy way. And, of course, it's having all sorts of impacts. So the classic impact is now we've seen drug move to uh, to Puerto Rico, right? They can't get into the southern border, so they look for an Amer- American border in the Caribbean to use that as a jumping point. It's, it is, uh, well, it's kind of like trying to hold water in your hands and, and run a marathon. That's exactly right, because we still need these folks. And, the, you know, uh, the president's going to have deported uh, almost 2 million people. Now, that's more deportations than any other president in history. In fact, through his five years, he deported more people than Bill Clinton did in eight years, and that George Bush did in eight years. And and when we think about these deportations, we're talking about one in three of them are breaking up families. These are fathers that leave in the morning, go to work, and they're never seen by their children but, again. But what's to gain by deporting people? Absolutely. What do we as a country gain? Absolutely nothing. I mean, that we, we can prove that we can uh, try to implement a law that doesn't work, or we can find a law, make the law work. And by the way, we need to enforce our borders. I'm not I'm not an open borders kind of guy. But we need to do it in a smart and effective way. You know, I you know, I, American Express, you can go get on you know, get on an airline, fly to Thailand, get on a canoe, uh go 20 miles out in 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 their in their marsh system, buy a coconut for 15 cents with your credit card and American Express finds you. Yet we can't find Pedro when he crosses the border. It's silliness. And the reason we can't is cuz we don't want to. The reason is that we do want Pedro's work to be cheap so that we can undercut Peter. And uh, and uh, and we want to put Peter in an uncomfortable position in competing for work. And that's absurd. What we need to do is have a system because not only is it the, the entry-level work, of the Fortune 500 companies in our country, uh, half were started by an immigrant or the son of an immigrant. Sergey Brin, the guy who started Google, son of an immigrant. And to not have this, we hurt ourselves. Let me give you a better uh, example. We have in the United States right now 120 
thousand Chinese studying at our best universities. We have 90,000 Indians studying at our universities. We have 70,000 South Koreans studying. Now, they're studying at our best educational centers. Now, And, and after they're done, they get a one-year visa. And they're then, allowed to work here for one year to gain experience, and then they must depart. And they must depart, and all of them would love to stay. And, you know, to to train our competition, because, they're you know, these guys are going to MIT, Harvard, Stanford, to train them and then not be able to take their, their talent. You know, if you look at the... Um, the, the Nobel uh, Prize winners in the last century and the United States has the lion's share of winners. Some of, one of the fascinating thing about a lot of those winners is they had an accent, right? We made them Americans. And if there is something that America does better than any other nation in the world is make Americans. You know, after, after a generation here, you, you probably got a parade once a year where you, you get drunk on whatever local intoxicant was good for that and you wear some color and you dance around... But in the end, what you are is American. What, what people quest to be, what the drive is, is to be part of a society that never is quite finished. Uh, what is amazing about our country is that our culture is anything but static. What is America today will not be America 20 years from now because it continues to evolve. It becomes better and it uses the drive and the dream of the immigrant, which comes here, you know, to – to quote Brian De Palma's uh, um, a movie uh, Scarface, these 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 people love America or the American dream with a vengeance. They come here to be American, and they then take everything that they think is wonderful about America, and then they add what they thought was good about their country, and and they mesh it together, and it moves our country forward uh, so much more quickly in other places. You know, we, well, we're sitting in the shadow. Of the Freedom Tower, right. which is Miami's Ellis Island. Correct. Correct. And, you know, it's appalling to me that certain politicians in this state, even some who have advanced the cause of immigration reform, suddenly backtrack for political reasons. But isn't there a way that we can find pragmatism across the aisle as well? Well, look, I, I think we'll get there. I, I just think, you know what? Uh, Xenophobia is 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 a is a is a horrible thing, right? And and you know, twenty thirty years from now, we're going to look back at what some folks have been saying these days, right? The uh, the congressman who talked about the, uh, the the Mexicans having calves the size of cantaloupes from carrying hundred uh, pound bags of marijuana across the border, uh, when he was talking about dreamers, right? When he was talking about valedictorian Hispanics. Uh, we're going to look at all this and we're going to see it for what it was. We're going to see it for just a sad, xenophobic diatribes the same way we look back at the declarations of Governor Wallace or 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 uh, or, or other southern nefarious characters of, of the 60s that were overcome by time and, and by understanding and by law. And, 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 and on I, the I, wrong side of history. And they're on the wrong side of history. And this, to, to in many respects, is probably the civil – as we began, the civil rights – struggle of this moment. And I, I'm a believer that we get this in South Florida. We, we've been through the bad part of it, and, and we're going to get through this, and we're going to get through it because in the end, to quote Churchill, sometimes the bitter end, America always does what's right, and we're going to do what's right here. Great. Well, I really appreciate you joining us on the show today, and I hope that your fixes for flood insurance, your fights for immigration reform, and all of the things that you're doing for your constituents here in South Florida work out for the best. Thank you. 
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can follow me on Twitter, at Grant Stern, and you can certainly follow Joe Garcia. I certainly recommend it. He is at Rep, R-E-P, Joe Garcia on Twitter. Now, I'd like to make a brief disclosure, and we're going to bring in Mark Caputo from the Miami Herald. Just to disclose to our audience, I have donated to Mr. Garcia's political campaigns in the past, though I am a very minor donor. Now, that said, Mark, welcome to the show. Mark, are you out there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Ah, wonderful. Thanks for joining us tonight. I have to say, your connection's not so good. Well, we can hear you just fine. So I can barely hear you, but uh, let's just work through it, and we'll see if I need my ear horn. You got it. So, Mark, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on the immigration reform debate in the United States today, because many of our Florida politicians are involved in the immigration reform debate. Right. Well, they kind of have to be. I mean, Florida's an immigrant state. It's an immigrant-heavy state, except for a few uh, politicians from a few areas. You'll really find a heavy concentration of South Florida politicians, Republicans, Democrats, and I don't know if any are independents or libertarians who are elected at a major position out there. But they're certainly going to have constituents, a lot of them, immigrants. So it only makes sense that they'd be addressing this issue and tackling it head-on and doing what they can. Now, when you, you say constituents are immigrants... When you, when this you sort say... of thing isn't popular, and you have major pockets in the United States where this sort of thing isn't popular, and that's the problem this legislation is running into up in Congress. Well, when you say constituents are immigrants, I want to clarify. Those are people that are citizens today that immigrated recently, or first or second generation immigrants, Oh, sure. Right? I don't think uh, immigrant is uh, gainstays, or what's the right word I'm looking for? I, people might be immigrants, but they're also citizens. But like, Right. Uh, I mean, people I would, in the rest of the United States have this vision of all immigrants being illegal, but really, Florida's filled with legal immigrants oh, that no, are I voters. Think most people, I think most people believe that. Uh, I think most people believe that most immigrants in this country are legal. So what are the, the drawbacks and what are the benefits of legalizing immigration and giving a path to citizen to these 10 million people? Let's start with the benefits. Uh, the, well, the benefits, as the, the supporters would frame the benefits, is that it would be uh, good for our economy, it would be good for our, our employers, and it would be just kind of the morally right thing to do. Uh, of course, the opponents of this argue that it's precisely the wrong thing to do because you're rewarding bad behavior. Um, unfortunately, the debate, although a complex one, comes down to those two kind of simple and fundamental differences, and then there's a lot of politics being played in between. Why the House, for instance, if it's very concerned about immigration reform without a pathway to citizenship, cannot pass four out of five major immigration reform components and leave the pathway to citizenship for later is unclear to me. It's very strange. Well, but, the Senate um, passed the a bill. That John Boehner has decided to take for one calculating reason or another, and it's going to be interesting to see politically if it pays off. The, the Senate did pass an immigration reform bill, and Florida Senator Mark, Marco like House, Rubio was very involved. What we're talking about in the House is essentially breaking up that Senate bill in about five parts. Okay. Uh, into five separate bills. So, ostensibly, the thing that uh, Republican, some Republicans, or many Republicans in Congress have heartburn with is the pathway to citizenship. What I'm saying is, okay, fine, set aside the pathway to citizenship. Comprehensive immigration reform is about so much more than that. There's four or five other major aspects. 
So why would the House not pass those things, which don't give conservatives heartburn, and just start the process? But the fact is they haven't done that yet. And for someone like me, it's a little puzzling. However, there's a lot of chess that gets played in um, legislative buildings, whether it's the state legislature or the U.S. Capitol. So maybe Boehner's got a strategy here. We're going to have to see, and we'll really know by August. Well, uh, if in an the election... August recess comes without the House passing anything, it's going to be interesting to see just how Republicans are going to fare. Now, let's turn our attention for a minute to the flood insurance issues that Rep. Joe Garcia brought up. There's a bill called Biggert Waters that changed the way the National Flood Insurance Program is evaluated for every single house that's been in the program for less than 18 months. And by the end of this year, we'll create huge bills for every other homeowner that's in a flood zone. Uh, Do you think... I've heard that that, that President Obama does not want to sign a a repeal of this quote-unquote reform, but what do you think is going to happen? Are we going to see flood insurance reform this year? We have one minute. I doubt it. You doubt it? Why not? I mean, a lot of homeowners are seeking a better path, like something that's more gradual. I understand, but, you know, the homeowners of South Florida, who include me and include my mother and my relatives, those folks uh, are not represented by politicians in Oklahoma for whom the, uh, the belief is you don't want to have government subsidizing this sort of insurance. Just as they oppose Obamacare on the health insurance front, so they say they oppose this on the property insurance front. So you think that opposition is enough to keep a, a reform bill from being passed, a reform for the reform, even though... One of the authors of Biggert Waters is sponsoring the patch. I believe so. I mean, that would just be my guess. You're asking me this year, if I had to bet, I'd bet against it passing. Remember, legislative bodies tend toward inertia, and a body at rest tends to stay at rest, and there's not enough energy to move this legislation right now. If you want to do immigration reform, maybe maybe something on immigration will get done. But the chance of this Congress being able to lift those two heavy objects uh, in, in this session, I think, are pretty slim. But maybe I'm wrong. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us tonight. You hear that music, and that means we're about to take a break. We're going to be back at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. This is the Only in Miami show. Am I gone here? And as one of those TV dads, I had to teach the kids about handling money, so here goes. Rule number one, don't mess with the IRS. They're cracking down this year. They can garnish your paycheck, levy your bank account, even your home or business could be up for grabs over unpaid taxes. It's all true. But it's also true that they're offering a new way out. It's called the Fresh Start Initiative, an important government program for tax debt forgiveness. It's one of the biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered, so now's the time. You could qualify for a tax settlement that's 75% lower than before these recent changes. The experts at Optima Tax Relief will work to get you the best deal possible. Don't mess with the IRS. For tax help you need, for tax help you can trust, call Optima for a free consultation. Call 800-711-5743. That's 800-711-5743. 800-711-5743. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. A few years after Al Gore invented the Internet, somebody invented email. After we figured out how to use it and not use it, somebody invented Facebook. Then Twitter. It seems like the more things that get invented, 
the farther apart we become. What happened to one-on-one communication where one person talks, another listens, and sometimes can actually call in and respond? What happened to that? That's right. It's been here all along. It's talk radio. And here you are. South Florida's only business radio station, 880 AM, The Biz. I know I need money for retirement, but what should I invest in? I also need money for the kids' college fund, and I'm not sure I have enough insurance. How do I balance all of this? I need a stockbroker, a financial planner, and an insurance agent? Hello, I'm Mo Ansari, host of Market Wrap and president of Compaq Asset Management. Here at Compaq, we provide a holistic approach to wealth management with a team of professionals ready to assist you with all of your investment and financial planning needs. We offer our clients a three-stage process that includes customizing a portfolio to fit your specific investment needs, creating a financial plan designed to help you reach your goals and estate planning ideas to help ensure that your hard-earned legacy is passed down the way you intended. Call me at 1-800-388-9700 for a free consultation and let's talk about how we can work together to enhance your overall life experience. That's 1-800-388-9700, 800-388-9700. Compact Asset Management is a registered investment advisor, funds custodian, Fidelity Institutional Wealth Services, member FINRA SIPC. Getting harassed by debt collectors? Don't declare bankruptcy, declare war. Listen to Debt Warriors with Bruce Jacobs on 880 AM The Biz, then visit DebtWarriors.com and call 866-DEBT-WAR. That's 866-332-8927. Bruce is the bank's worst nightmare. A former Miami prosecutor and an experienced trial lawyer trained in cutting-edge debt defense strategies and tactics. Debt Warriors with Bruce Jacobs airs live Wednesdays at 5 p.m. and replay Tuesday at 7 p.m. on 880 AM The Biz. Will not be televised. Discover, share, and connect with today's thought leaders in health, lifestyle, and finance at GoodLifeRevolution.com. Now, the one talk show in America all about your wealth, your health, and living the good life. The Good Life Revolution is proud to present Ray Lucia. GoodLifeRevolution.com. Weekdays at noon on 880 The Biz. You're writing a Christian book and you want it published. You also know old-fashioned publishers reject thousands of manuscripts each year. Want your book in print and on Amazon? Make it happen. Take control and publish yourself with 21st Century Christian Publishing at Zulon Press. Learn more with your free guide to Christian Publishing. Visit ChristianPublishing.com. ChristianPublishing.com. Publishing is fast, easy, and affordable with Zulon Press. A division of Salem Communications, the same great people who bring you this nifty radio station. A few years after Al Gore invented the Internet, somebody invented email after we figured out how to use it and not use it somebody invented facebook then twitter it seems like the more things that get invented the farther apart we become what happened to one-on-one communication where one person talks another listens and sometimes can actually call in and respond what happened to that that's right it's been here all along it's talk radio and here you are south florida's only business radio station 880 a.m the biz WZAB Sweetwater, South Florida's only business radio station. 880 AM, The Biz, a division of Salem Communications, on the NASDAQ as SALM. www.boardingsidemortgage.com 
This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. We're back with Jenny Lee Molina from 305 Cafecito. Jenny Lee, thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks for joining us, Jenny Lee. Looks like we're having some phone trouble. Well, Jenny Lee Molina runs a wonderful organization called 305 Cafecito. And you can check them out at www.305cafecito.com. They have an event this Wednesday at 3.05 p.m. because it is 3.05 day. It's March 5th. And it's called Miami Runs on 305 Cafecito. Now, that's going to be at Versailles Restaurant. The first 50 people there will get a free 305-day shirt from 305 Cafecito. Now, 305 Cafecito uh, is a hashtag as well as a website, and there is a Twitter account as well. So all of them you can check out. Hashtag 305 cafe C-I-T-O, 305 Cafecito. I hope we can get Jenny Lee back on the phone because she's absolutely wonderful to chat with and a friend. Um, This is something that I would highly encourage all of our listeners to visit. It's going to be live at the Versailles Restaurant. That's 3555 Southwest 8th Street. Uh, If you're using GPS, it's Miami, Florida, 33135. And you can check out uh, Versailles at Versailles Miami on Twitter. Jenny Lee, are you out there? I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I'm not sure why I hear you so bad, but I apologize for that. Uh, don't worry. Just listen closely and we'll ask the questions. You give the answers. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Great. So, Jenny Lee, tell our audience a little bit about why you started 305 Cafecito. Well, 305 Cafecito um, really started as um, a simple tweet that I sent out of a shot of Cuban coffee that I was having casually at 3.05 in the afternoon. And I thought 3.05 seems like the perfect time for Cuban coffee. But before I knew it, other people were also taking pictures of their Cuban coffee and hashtagging it with 3.05 Cafecito. So before we knew it, we realized we have a social media campaign that really um, captivates what Miami is all about. You know, Cuban coffee is a definitely a common denominator in Miami, but also the fact that we share in this 305 pride. And so we have this moment in our day to stop and just kind of um, stop and smell the coffee, as I say. Um, and we've, and like I said, before we knew it, we had the social media campaign. So we, we opened a Facebook page and, and a Twitter page and did all of that. And the engagement has been great ever since. It's been really fun. That's awesome. So I know that we're going to be at Versailles, and Versailles has tremendously wonderful coffee, but give me the rest of your top five. Your top five Miami 305 Cafecito joints. Top five. Okay. Well, there. you know, I, I, one of the best things about Miami is that we definitely have a lot of great Cuban coffee just about anywhere. Um, but I have to say one of my number one spots is actually in Hialeah, and it would be uh, El Caribe on West 68th Street and 16th Avenue. It doesn't matter who makes the coffee. They have it down to a science. It's always, always good. So consistency is key, and uh, this is a place that always, always has it. Um, Fortunately for me, it's by my mom's house, so I get to have it quite often. Another place that I love is Enriqueta's in Wynwood. Um, It's one of my go-to places. I'm there almost every single day. I love Enriqueta's in Wynwood. 
Oh, that place um, is fantastic. Our- you know that I love yeah. that place too. And, yeah, and, and, it's a it's a great one. I know and, you you love that face too. And, 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 I love Mary's Coin the, Laundry yeah. also in the Grove. Sure. Oh, Mary's it's Coin Laundry place. is the best. In my opinion, that's that's the best because they've run twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, and they've been running for thirty years like that, maybe more. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great, and it's whether you want it at three o five p.m. or three o five a.m., they can definitely hook you up. So, I definitely love Mary's Coin Laundry, and it's such a you know interesting place because it's got the coin laundry but it's got a ventanita so it's definitely uh a place that most people uh need to go check out now tell me a little bit about what's going to be happening at the 305 cafecito miami runs on 305 cafecito event this wednesday at 305 p.m at versailles well you know it's march 5th so we thought hey it's 305 let's just go ahead and celebrate miami i know that there's been um you know, some activities before on 305 Day, but we're really going to take it to next level with an official 305 Cafecito break on 305 at Versailles. Um, Versailles is going to be doing free coffee and also free guava pastelitos. That's awesome. So wait a second. Listening audience out there, did you hear that? At 3.05 p.m. on 305, which is March 5th, this Wednesday, you can go to Versailles for free Cafe Cubano, free coffee. We, I got to see everybody out there that's listening, every single one yeah, of you. Yeah, they're also doing free Wava Pastelitos when you hashtag Love Versailles. So that'll be fun, too. Yeah, Wava no, that's... pastries and Cuban coffee, I mean, that's enough caffeine and sugar for, for a couple days. And you guys also have your 305 Cafecito shirts and mugs and all sorts of fun stickers, right? Yes, we're going to be giving away the 305 Cafecito shirts. Um, Thankfully, we have some great partners that are also going to be giving away some goodies from Mr. 305 Inc., which is Pitbull's record label. We'll also have some fun stuff from 100 Fire Cigars, which just opened up at Marlins Park. And so we'll have some goodies for everyone, not just coffee and pastelitos, but some other fun giveaways, too, for the first 50 people on uh, Wednesday at 3.05. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Now, Thank you so much. Yeah, Jenny Lee, I really appreciate you coming on the show, and you're going to have to come into the studio sometime soon, okay? I definitely, definitely would love to. Let me know. I'll bring some cafecito and pastelitos. We are ready. Well, this is the Only in Miami show, and we'll be right back in just one minute with the Drastic Fanatic talking Miami sports.
This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me at Grant Stern on Twitter, and check out the website, www.onlyinmiamishow.com. We're going to fill it up with new content tonight from tonight's show, and we hope you join us on there every day because we post new segments, new podcasts, and new stories every single day at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. Dot com. Drastic, welcome to the show. Hey, welcome. What's cooking? The Knicks suck. Uh, thanks for stating <laughs> the obvious. I mean, I, I'm trying to beat around the bush here. The Knicks do not know no, how to win. They're pathetic, dude. It's bad. <laughs> it's real bad. Look, even when they were losing all those games with like Lil Nate and David Lee... Yeah, yeah. When they at least they were into yeah, they were a little entertaining, right? It was like fun to watch. You turn on, see, you know, Nate Dunk and stuff like that. But this is just this is pathetic, and they keep rolling them out on uh, national television. Now, did you watch last Thursday's game? They played in Miami last Thursday. Uh, yeah, the black uh, mask and uh, yes, uh, yes, the black mask game. I mean, that that game will be famous forever, famous for the black mask, right? And they may told him to change the color, I guess, right? Now, I'm going to open the lines because I want to hear from you guys right now. Yeah, pile on, pile on. Bring it on. 305-541-2350. Again, the number is 305-541-2350. We got 10 minutes with the lines open, so you better call in soon. (laughs) I want your take, your take callers on what do we call LeBron in the black mask? Is he Le Phantom of Le Opera? (laughs) Uh, Le Batman? Uh, Le mask. <laughs> Come mask. on, yeah. Come on. What, what do you think? Um, yeah, Le Phantom of Le Opera is a good one. I'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's like a bondage mask, and he just beat the hell out of the Knicks. Do do Knicks fans enjoy that? Well, they forgot to say the uh, the code word, the, the stop word, or whatever. <laughs> right. oh, they didn't set the stop word. The safe word. Oh no, it's no. true. <laughs> Terrible, but true. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> so. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I was at the game last Thursday, and it, it looked like the two teams were playing two different sports. The yeah. Heat were playing basketball, and the Knicks They're were bad, dude. You know I what it is? Normal, normally, there. my juices would have been flowing, right? Knicks Heat. It, it kind of means a little something just because of the history between the two clubs. Um, but I had no desire. I had no desire. I mean, turning on the TV to watch them. And the, and the NBA, there's no flex schedule, so they keep putting them on national television. And, <laughs> right. Oh, man. Well, I mean, they do have a small flex schedule for the NBA. It's like Tuesday nights. But, yeah, they're they're all over the national TV schedule because they, they have no second. pride. They go out on national television and get their butts handed to them like no one's business. And that's it. <laughs> and, and the whole world gets to watch it, unfortunately. I mean, I feel bad for the rest of I'm a Nick fan, so I like tune in just by like habit, you know? <laughs> you um, can't you can't stop. It's like, in no. other words, it's like watching a train wreck right. except that it's in orange and blue. Right. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a complete mess. And no, you so know what I think they're keeping the Warriors, okay? Because I did not watch the Warriors game. Steph Curry, he he did work on us. And then against the Bulls, you know, Jockham Noah put on a triple double two yesterday. Yeah, it's, it's like never, everybody like no, smells the blood. There's no the defense. Guys, there's no huh? big man. Our point guard, the only thing he could shoot is his mouth and his gun. Um, <laughs> it's a mess. It's a complete mess. And they're keeping Woodson on board just because I think they're going to try to make a splash in the off season. They don't want to bring you know a, a stopgap in at this point. They're going to let him ride it out. Well, you know that's important because you have to think of it this way: if you want to attract a top coach, you don't want to be like unceremoniously dumping. 
The guy right. you got now. You want to right. say, oh, you know, we gave him his dignity. We let him ride it out. We gave him a chance. They did. They did. And his regular season record before this year was actually pretty good. When he first got here, I was kind of liking him. Maybe it's because D'Antoni was so bad and I was, um, you know, it was the lesser of two evils. But he did have a good regular season and he did win our first playoff uh, round in over a decade probably. But you just see him sitting there with his arms crossed with that look on his face, and he really has no idea what to draw. They don't draw up any plays. I mean, it's complete pass once and chuck it. It's it's ugly, man. It's really ugly. It's like we grow up learning the game of basketball, you know, backdoor picks, like, you know, fundamentals. Oh, fundamentals. There's zero fundamentals well, on this Hold Nick on. Team. I'll take it one step further. There's not even any fun no. on that team. No. I mean, It's all really. dementals. Yeah, it's all demented, really. Yeah. So, do you think do you think Melo is out? Because you know we thought we were gonna. Uh, I thought it was. Gonna I thought see it was a lot that he was gonna stay, but now I'm kind of, you know. And deep down, even you know before this season, the, the the fact that they're so bad, and I really have started to like him more this year because I really feel like. He, He's got he's given more of his soul this year. Yeah, he looks like bewildered and frustrated and annoyed, but I really feel like he's trying more that the team's so bad and before they were just is ready to chuck it at any given moment. But now I feel like he's trying more to be like a team player, but there's no team around him. It's so tough. I, I'm mixed. I got mixed emotions about if I so, wanted so to wait stay a second. or go. Melo kind of missed the bus. He was like selfish when the team was good, but now the team's bad. He's yeah. Uh, now he's more like you know, hitting the glass. Ten rebounds a game, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know. I got, I got a lot of mixed emotions. I mean, and it all starts at the top. Unfortunately, our owner is a is a disaster. I so mean, this contrasting guy's a complete that, disaster. contrasting that, there's a team in black. What do you think of D Wade? The Heat are nine and one in the last ten games with D Wade, and he's shooting sixty two percent. I wish I can have my medical staff look at his MRI on his knee and tell me what his true story is, because that's gonna be, you know, that's gonna be the big tale. Well, playoff time. Uh, how, how is that knee? Well, they're resting him a lot, but I mean... Well, still. Do you think he can sustain it? Uh, yeah, like I said, I have no idea what what truly goes on behind that kneecap. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, it's not behind... The, well, yeah, I guess it was behind the kneecap earlier this year. Uh, you know, Or last year, last offseason. And, you know, the, the East, that could walk through. Tonight we have a little preview of uh, if the season we're in today, it would be uh, Heat, Charlotte, and they're going off right now in Miami, right? That's right. The, the Heat the and the Bobcats are playing right now. Miami 35-26 with no D-Wade. That's right. D-Wade is resting tonight. So that's a preview of a two versus seven seed right there. Um, now, the, the Heat are only one game behind the Pacers. So really... No, I think more than I think no, two and a half. No, it's one game. One game. I'm, I'm telling sure. you, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Indiana's 46-13. and 13. Well, one game in the loss column. Miami's forty-two and four teams, so Indiana has it's two and a half games behind, but obviously they have a couple more games played. Indiana does, yeah, but it's all about the loss column. You can't take those exactly. Back, so know. look, let's fast forward game seven in Indy and see what shakes down. Now a <laughs> like week from tonight, a week from tonight, there's going to be another uh, possible playoff preview, which is going to be Miami and Washington. I mean, we could see them in the playoffs, especially if. You know, if the Heat move into the one seed, you'll see the the winner of the four or five seed. As it stands today, if the the NBA playoffs started, the Heat would be second seed, Indiana would be first, Toronto would be third seed, and they're actually them? one of the DeMar few teams DeRozan. above five hundred. 
Yeah, DeMar DeRozan is actually he's he's balling. He and then balling. and then Chicago is the four seed, which I think is great because they've got a whole major league thing going on. You know, the the Chicago management they wanted to tank this season, but and they kept getting rid of players. And it's like the more they take away from Tom Thibodeau. The I love more Thibodeau, they win. Man. I love that guy. I, I love the guy, but I think he's just never. I don't see him being a championship. And I love coach. Joachim Noah too. And what a great all-around player. What a what a headsy player. Yeah, yeah. But I, my cerebral. opinion is the same as that that woman with the big earrings from the playoff game last year. Remember when he fouled out? Sure. The meme that went around. <laughs> yeah, I, I like him though. Joachim Noah is all right in my book. I take him on my team. Oh, I day. want him on my team, but I mean, I don't like him otherwise. No. <laughs> Well, you know how it is. The yeah. best players are like that. And John Wall, he's turned the corner this year. He's been extremely impressive. Well, you know, he was young when he came out. And he I was think, young. And I think that's another argument for, you know, uh, getting rid of the one and done and making it two and done. I yeah. mean, you know, look at how much he's matured this year. What is it, his third year in the league? Yeah, he really has turned the corner. He's he's going to be an all, a big-time all-star for many years to come. He's like the new Iverson of the league, kind of, who just had his number retired, actually, in Philly. Wait a second. Allen Iverson actually retired? <laughs> Officially, so that's why they actually send up the number three to the rafters in uh, in Philly. What, he's, he's not playing in Kazakhstan anymore? Nah, him and him and Marbury called it quits, I guess. Uh, uh, wait, he's not playing in Angola? <laughs> I mean, the Angolan basketball team needs somebody like Starbury on it. You know, the, they suffered some terrible losses to the U.S. team. Maybe? No. No, stop, no. stop. <laughs> and then, uh, no, AI, I mean, he just stuck around way too long. But John did. Wall is a different story. John he's Wall. he's coming into his prime. He basically kind of won the slam dunk contest. No, it's tough did. to say who did win. No, he, yeah, that was a weird format. I was not like that. <laughs> what do you but he definitely won it, though. That was the best dunk I've seen in a while. He's, uh, dude, you know, John, Wall's, John Wall's legit. Yeah, John Wall is legit. But uh, back to the, the main topic, and we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with Andrew Abramson. Uh, talking the Miami Dolphins. Uh, oh, so, my favorite topic. Well, there, there was some actual action this week. So we'll, we'll come back to him in a minute. But, okay. I mean, okay, so the Heat beat OKC uh, on yep. the road, now, returning Karan the favor. Karan Butler just signed there. Right, Karan Butler signed He's with OKC. He's going to be starting with them. And, and you've noticed that all the other teams have upgraded with, or quote-unquote upgraded with some older guys right. uh, at the, the deadline. And the Heat added... Uh, DeAndre Liggins from our D League team, the Sky Force. So, if what you do you say think? So. <laughs> what, what kind of what does that statement? What, what kind of statement is that? From, if it ain't, from if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's what it's. That's what it says. Yeah, I think they're good to go as is. Yeah, Ready? yeah, that's what they think. I mean, let's see. I, that's what I think too. I think Greg Oden's actually come a long way. He had back to back slam dunks yesterday. <laughs> huh. Wow. Well, or on Saturday, but we, I mean, come on, man. You know, he only played 81 games in seven years, and he's already up to, like, 10. And what's up with Beasley? He's kind of fallen from grace a little bit, right? Beasley being Beasley, same old, same old. Well, you know, we're going to get back to Beasley. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to come right back. This is the Only in Miami show. She even said it's staring in the face of poverty Is that insanity or vanity? I think it's nothing but the power of the mind Believe she put it in me Because I live on my dreams I get my fantasies wings One day I'm gonna be king I'm gonna make that woman so proud of her son I know you heard about change It's gonna come One question, will you be there? Will you be there? I'll be there with my hands held high in the air Like a champion Cause I demand the win Before you wear the crown I'll try to tear you down I'm ready 
Center before my cards Focus my mind and don't take my eyes Off the prize Cause life is a blink of an eye You're here then you're gone Off to the other side My time is a gift and I use it I spend every day making beautiful music But you don't have to hold the tune To serenade a room Just to hide like noon Even in the gloom Darkest clouds never block the sun Just rise above and you're already won No obstacle can't be overcome If you think that you can Then it's already done This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find us online at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. Andrew, or welcome to the show. Well, Andrew should be around. I'm here. You hear hey, me? you can What's hear up, us. What's up, Great. How you hey, doing? Hey, how you guys doing? Great, great. Thanks for joining us tonight. How's your off-season going so far? Oh, there's no off-season. Come on. There's <laughs> bullying scandals, and there's free agent signings, and GM hirings. And, and firings. You know. And, yeah. <laughs> there, uh, this year, there's definitely not much of a Dolphins off-season. I agree. Now, you can follow Andrew uh, at Abramson uh, PBP. On Twitter, and I'm going to actually tweet that right now um, so everybody can follow along. So, Andrew, talk to me, man. What's what's first on your mind? I know what I'm thinking about, but what's the first, what's the top of mind story today about the Miami Dolphins? Well, I mean, I'm just, you know, I think today we learned some things with the tag, who got tagged, who didn't around the league, that, you know, tells me a lot about maybe what's happening with the Dolphins coming up. So did the Dolphins yeah. tag anybody? I didn't. I didn't get the chance to find out. Did we tag? Yeah, barely anyone around the league was tagged. Actually, only four tags. But wow. you know, the interesting one is to me that I mean, signing re-signing Brent Grimes today was huge. But to me, the offensive line is still the biggest question mark for the team. So I'm I'm hearing that Eugene Monroe, the left tackle, Baltimore's you know having some issues uh, with him and his contract. So he could be available, which would be big for the Dolphins. Uh, bringing Grimes back was big too. Okay, so uh, the Dolphins did not use the tag this year, the franchise tag, to keep... They, 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 they did not. Right. Is it too late to tag anyone or no? I know the Jets tagged our kicker, Nick Folk. Today was the deadline, 4 oh, o'clock today. Oh, okay. He's going to be the highest paid kicker in the league now. You know it. <laughs> uh, hey, they're talking about moving the extra point back, making them 42-yard attempts, so uh, maybe you need a good kicker now. Wait, wait, wait. How long? I just saw this now. They're talking about making extra points 42 yards. Wow. 42 yards that's a, that for the would extra actually be point? Cool. That's like I mean, some that XFL stuff. It wouldn't be automatic. Right. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, it wouldn't be automatic, but that sounds like it would be challenging. I mean, 42 yards is a serious attempt. Like, I'm all for it. Maybe, like, 32 maybe, maybe, maybe is a pretty solid attempt. No, 32 is a chip shot. 42 is. Yeah, I like 42. That would be cool. Uh, that, what about in the snow? I mean, you're going to have a bunch of... It is what it is. It's snowing <laughs> for everyone. You both got to kick it, so... Exactly. May, may, I, I think it would make it a lot more interesting, because they've talked about eliminating the extra point altogether, so this is a good middle ground, I think. Oh, I, yeah, that's I disagree cool. with, with eliminating it. I mean, that's... It's, it's part of the game. I mean, the kicking game is one-third of the game, Well, then, really. yeah, what about the two-point conversion? You know, the whole math. What about your Super Bowl boxes? How is that going to work? Right, or they, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. But yeah, eliminated it. I guess they would make two point. There's a couple of different scenarios they could make two point conversions mandatory to attempt one. 
Yeah, that sounds you know a little what? too gimmicky for me. It sounds I, like XFL kind of stuff. I can hear the odds makers' stomachs in Vegas <laughs> boiling over this right now. How would that affect totals, right? Yeah, yeah over-unders and totals. And, and heck, even fantasy football, uh, it's really going to kind of eat into, oh, well, when do you take the kicker? In fact, maybe you just don't take kickers, period, now. Make them optional. In fantasy football? Yeah, I mean... I, you know, it, I, I've been playing for years. We eliminated kickers. Because, you know, you know I, the thing about taking kickers in fantasy football is they're, they're so meaningless, you end up dropping them during the bye week and just picking up any kicker. So, you know, we you didn't like kickers making a difference in our scoring system. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the kickers are about matchups in fantasy football. Yeah. But, I always like to draft a dome kicker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good strategy. A little strategy to it, yeah. I, I would always like to draft any kicker that's being coached by Tony Sperano. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's yeah, a good yeah. Well, actually, I, I almost, I came in second. I mean, I went all the way to, well, led wire to wire in the league that I'm in with Drastic, led wire to wire, and then lost in the Super Bowl, and I had the Jets kicker that whole year. And believe me, it paid off. It paid <laughs> off. I mean, Sperano's a guaranteed uh Guaranteed lots of field goals kind of guy. Now, speaking of Sperano, he used to be an offensive line coach. And um, I guess his skills in that area are now underappreciated in Miami because, boy, we did not have much of an offensive line coach. So, uh, Well, he was fired, right? He was part of the right. bully tell, gate. Uh, Andrew, tell us who was fired and who did they replace him with? You mean with – I mean, oh, so Jim Turner was fired for the Dolphins and they brought in John Benton. Who was the assistant off? Who was sorry? Was the offensive line coach at Houston? He gets fired, but they brought in Benton uh, three weeks before Turner was fired. But it was kind of obvious what was happening there. So clearly, they, I think they knew Turner was on his way out. So now Benton's the offensive line coach, and they brought in of Pittsburgh's former offensive line coach as his assistant. That's interesting too because he coached County's brother in Pittsburgh. Oh, very interesting. So there's there's some real thought being put into who they're bringing in. They're not just picking guys out of a hat. And you think Pouncey's gonna Pouncey's gonna stay around even after his name was mentioned in the whole bully gate, right? You know, whose who's name? Pouncey. Pouncey. Yeah, I mean, as you know, it sounds like they're they're keeping him. I mean, they're praising him. Dennis Hickey, the new general manager, has gone out of his way to praise Pouncey. So look, I mean, he's a Pro Bowl center. You know, I, I, they're not going to get rid of him. You, you can bully all you want in the locker room, but if you're a pro bowler, they can find a way to make amends, I'd imagine. Well, that's the thing. He wasn't a ringleader. He was, I hate to say it, a follower. He was a follower. I no. mean, you know, he was a rookie, though. He was in his second year. He's a rookie and a second-year player, just like, uh, you know, just like Jonathan Martin. So, you know, he wasn't in a much of a position to be a team leader in year one or two, right? Right. Right. No, that's a good point. Young guy, or at least that's justification. Right, it's plenty of justification. He, he he was a year or two out of college. I mean, well, what's the justification for the free Hernandez shirt? <laughs> you know, yeah, again, I mean, yeah, there's still that. There, you got subpoenaed. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. I think he is going to face a suspension at the beginning of the year, though. I would imagine he's out for a few games. And what's what's the backstory behind the, uh, the trainer that they fired as a result too? He's been with the team a long time, right? Yeah, this is a guy that was brought there when Jimmy Johnson got hired. We're talking almost 20 years ago. Wow. Yeah. So how, how involved was he? Did you Hold on. First of all, Andrew, did you read the entire Wells report? Because I, I didn't have time to read the Wells report. Yes, I read all 140 pages. really did. Okay. So why, why'd they fire the trainer? This is, you know. Well, 
What they're basically saying is, one, that he laughed when an assistant trainer, they made fun of his racial heritage, his Japanese background. And two, that he saw Martin being harassed, and instead of doing something about it, he told Martin to stand up for himself, which I think a lot of people would give that advice, you know. I know there's a lot of people that believe the trainer, Kevin O'Neill, was a scapegoat in this whole thing. And the way they fired him was kind of brutal. They flew him up to Indianapolis for the combine. He was in the middle of a meeting with all his fellow trainers in the NFL, and they called him out of the meeting and fired him. Wow. Ooh. And who's that? Ross pulled that off? No, Dennis Hickey and Donna Ponte. Oh, yeah, they put, and they put Ponte out there to do it, I heard, too. Yep. It was kind of yep. weak. Well, I mean, do you think that they the, the Dolphins brass did not know how involved he was or that he was going to be in the report? This is one of those situations where – you know, they took some special, uh, you know, like steps to make sure that Jim Turner wasn't at the Combines. So maybe they just didn't know that he would be a player in the report. Right. And the other issue with O'Neill, according to the report, was that he didn't cooperate. You know, uh, with the, he didn't cooperate with the investigation. So My he's whole still thing involved. Is I think that anyone that came out of this looking bad, if you're Stephen Ross, you just want a clean house, you just want to say you got rid of everybody. But this is a guy who just last year was named the top trainer, not just in the NFL, but in all of sports. He was only the fifth NFL trainer to ever win this award. Wow. So, and they gave him the yeah. boot. Like, they just gave like him that. the boot. Well, you know, it's that's what house cleaning is about. You maybe need to clean the cleaners as well. Yeah, but then, they were, <laughs> but then what about your head coach? He's still there. They rolled him out for a press conference, right? Yeah, yeah but you know what, Philbin? He's a head coach. And in the NFL, that means you're delegating. You're delegating authority. You're oh, trusting the guys that are Rex Ryan you. took so much heat when he had lost control. They said he lost control of the locker room. He didn't know what, what was going on there. Well, that's People because he was him. busy, you know, smelling feet or something. I don't know. Rex is kind of an odd duck. and. And yeah, he gets no, a pass were, you know, because he went Philbin, to two championship I, you know, not, games. Not only did this whole thing happen, but the team is underachieved. I mean, they're fifteen and seventeen on in his two years. Last year, they had a really bad collapse in the last two games. But for whatever reason, Stephen Ross really believes in Joe Philbin. So I know there's a lot of people out there that think this is going to fail this year, and he's going to be out, and Jim Harbaugh is going to come. But you know, I, I don't know about that. I, yeah. You know, the team actually look. They have a lot of money to spend. They have some parts. You know, if they actually have good coaching next year, this could be a team that does all right. You know, I I think it's just a situation where the Dolphins need to achieve a major addition through subtraction, and we're doing it. We're subtracting the guys that caused the problems, and and, and we're trying to add guys maybe that won't be part of that new problem. I mean, we'll see who they bring in, you know? Right. I mean, I'm sure character will be uh, a big focal point going into this year. So. I mean, it's going to be the draft or free agency for the offensive line. There's nobody on the team right now that's going to be promoted. What do you see the Dolphins looking for in the draft this year, first round? Man, you're probably going to go offensive line. There's a chance if neither Paul Soliai or um, Randy Starks comes back, if they get a good left tackle and a good guard in free agency, that maybe they go for a defensive tackle in the first round. You know, I still think offensive line is, is, you know, that's the obvious thing that they go for. Right. They get a guy like Notre Dame, Zach Martin, um, you know, Taylor Taylor Luan from uh, from Michigan is like this Jake Long clone. He could be available. He could drop, but he looks so good in the combine that I imagine uh, he will be gone already. He also has uh, some character issues, so I think the Dolphins would stay away. Yeah, um, you know, but there's a there's a chance they, like I said, they can address it. They can address the offensive line. 
in free agency and maybe go for uh, the best player available because there's a chance that they go at 19. There was really an offensive lineman. They'd be, you know, they'd be stretching and it wouldn't necessarily be the best player available. So Hickey said that's what he wants. So he goes for the best guy. So it should be interesting. That makes sense. And you think they draft a quarterback at any point this year? Well, I mean, in this case, it, it makes absolutely no sense to go for the best guy. I'm sorry. That's a theory that's that works there? when you don't have specific needs. The Dolphins have specific needs. We need running backs and offensive linemen, period. I agree. You don't want to take another receiver if he's the best guy on the board. Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, maybe then then it's time to trade. Maybe then it's time to use your leverage and draft order and get a pick from a team that uh, that needs a wide receiver, needs that best guy available who maybe has fallen a little bit or... You know, find a team that needs to reload. Now, it sounds to me like, yeah. oh, yeah, we lost mm-hmm. Andrew there, but we'd love it if he calls back. <laughs> I was wondering, I wonder if they if they go for a quarterback in like round three or four this year, or you think they're all in with uh, Tanny the whole way? Well, uh, you know what? I think the Dolphins are all in with Tanny. Uh, Andrew, you back there? Andrew, just speak up when you're here. <laughs> Um, I think that they're all in with Tanny. Um, you know, he's our guy. We just we have to protect him. And um, you know, it's you ironic. Give him that, a running game. Yeah, it's it's ironic that the Dolphins hired away the former uh, Texans offensive line coach because he's actually the guy I believe that solved the David Carr syndrome. <laughs> Remember, well, I always talk about it. every down on your butt. Right. Well, no, David Carr syndrome is specifically when a quarterback is so afraid of the performance of his offensive line that he just his his talent is wasted. That's David Carr syndrome. It's like a disease. Even before that, I grew up on Ken O'Brien syndrome, so I know what that's all about. He was the same way. Andrew, you back here with us? Yeah, can you hear me? Welcome Welcome back. (laughs) So I was asking, you think the uh, fish go for a quarterback at any point in this draft, or are we all in with Tannehill? I mean, if they do, you know, you know, you could get somebody late. I just think they want to avoid maybe having some quarterback drama this year. Um, I, you know, this is obviously I I mean, he's the quarterback this year. I think there's still issues about him. There's issues about the accuracy on his deep ball. Uh, there's questions about his pocket awareness. But I mean, this is a big year for him. New offensive coordinator and Bill Lazor, and I think they give him this year to prove himself. So it's a big year for both the head coach and for the quarterback together, kind of deal, right? Yeah, I mean, look, if the Dolphins struggle, if Tannehill struggles, they can just blow this whole team up next year. Yeah, that After easy? Coming year. Really? We don't. Not a lot of salary is committed to the team. There's not a lot of what? Sorry. There's not a lot of salary committed to the team beyond this year. Besides guys like core guys, guys that you want to keep, like uh, Brett Grimes. Right, right. No, no. What, what the Dolphins have done a very good job of in recent years is they structure their contracts so they're pretty easy to get out of after two years. So they've been able to get the system where they consistently have cap room every year. This year, again, they're $40 million under the cap, fifth best of any team in the league. And, you know, the whole thing is, though, you can have all the cap room you want. you got to get the right guys. Well, yeah, I mean, we've seen that cap room is not necessarily a recipe for success uh, like the New York Knicks. Right. And even the Dolphins this past year, they spent the most money of any team in the league and they didn't make the playoffs. Tampa Bay, when Dennis Hickey was there two years ago, same thing. They spent the most money and they didn't make the playoffs. So, so, so is that why we got Hickey, uh, so he can right keep, keep the tradition going? you can going? have cap room and you can actually make good decisions and get the right guys and then coach them up, I mean, the Dolphins have put themselves in a good position. Yeah, well, it's definitely a feather in, in Hickey's cap here, signing Grimes. I think that was uh, a great first step here for him. 
Yeah, it was, and it seemed like it was a good deal on both of them. I think it was a good deal for the Dolphins. It was a good deal for Grimes. Uh, $32 million deal, $16 million guaranteed. So, yeah, I think that works for everybody. And I know there's a lot of issues about cornerbacks declining in their early 30s, but, you know, Grimes uh, Grimes one of those guys. He's, he, they say he's 5'10". I bet you he's more like 5'8". He just seems to play. Uh, you, don't, you don't know how he does it, but he looks young. He looks fresh. And uh, he said something funny today. I actually asked him about that, about his age. Because cornerbacks do decline at that age, and he said, "You know, yeah, I look at these rest of these guys my age. I don't look like them. I don't feel like them." So I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> what well, do you What do you think first round, other than uh, O line? Would you say running back is top need? No, I mean I don't think they take a running back in the first round. It's just not the way the league's going these days. I mean, you can get good guys in the second, third, fourth round. Uh, like I said, I think defensive tackle. Um, I still think offensive line is the way to go, but, you know, maybe if there's a good defensive tackle out there, maybe a safety, although I don't think they'd go safety first round. Now let's talk about that because you just mentioned defensive tackle, and, of course, uh, the the Dolphins, if there's one area that's been stable for the last several years, it's been defensive tackle. Uh, We've had Paul Soliai, who's been tagged under the franchise tag, which we were talking about quite a bit, Um, but we're not franchising him this year. So what's going on? Are we going to re-sign Paul Soli? Are we bringing back Randy Starks? There's a chance neither of them come back. I mean, uh, I don't think Starks is coming back. And Soli's agent said today, you know, that they're, they're, he's prepared to move on. And, of course, agents say that. They talk. It's, it's part of, you know, it's leverage, part of bargaining. But, you know, there's a chance the Dolphins, maybe they want to go younger. Maybe they think that uh, they don't, you know, it's not worth the money. So I think there is a there is a decent chance both those guys leave. In the end, I wouldn't be surprised if Soliai comes back. But, uh, you know, there are cheaper options out there, younger guys that, uh, you know, they can replace them with and then go to the draft. And remember, they have Jared Audrick, too, and he's going to be up for a deal after this year. So I wouldn't be surprised if they build, uh, they build around Audrick and then maybe draft somebody or sign somebody that's cheaper than Soliai or Starks. So, so it's just a cost-cutting maneuver at this point. Do you or, think they're just going to cause or age? They might decide, you know, they can get somebody that's two, three million dollars cheaper, that's four years younger, that they think they can turn into the next Paul Soliai. So, you know, it's it's it, it's a uh, it's a gutsy move if you do that, but it but it could pay off too. Have you gotten a chance to speak with Dennis Hickey yet? I have. And what's your impression? He's a he's a, he's a nice guy. Seems like a regular kind of guy. Uh, you know, he's not only he's somebody that's used to the spotlight, uh, used to the press conference, being up there at the combine in Indianapolis. Maybe didn't seem like the most comfortable guy. Well, that's but, the thing. Uh, he's been in the league a long time, and no one really knows who he was, right? I mean, yeah, no one. Uh, yeah, no one. I mean, you know, we all know he wasn't the Dolphins' first choice or second choice or third or fourth, he's <laughs> or like seventh or eighth. Yeah. But uh, you know, I've heard mixed things about him. There's people that think that he can get it done. You know, Tampa obviously hasn't done much in the last couple of years, but they did bring in talent, and a lot of people think that the Tampa Bay had the talent, but they had the coaching issues with Shiano. So, well, that's the thing. Uh, they they gave my boy a wrong. You know, I went to uh, college with Raheem Morris at Hofstra University up in New York. Mm-hmm. They gave him a raw deal. He was part yeah. of that, so yeah. I, I, I kind of hold so, it against Yeah, exactly. Him. They really wanted Shiano in, and what did Shiano do while he was there? Nothing. Ran a boot camp for kids that doesn't work in the NFL. <laughs> well, Shiano was a disaster. I mean, there's just no doubt about that. He uh he he had a very abrasive style. So compare and contrast just personality-wise, Jeff Ireland and Dennis Hickey, like in person, you know, your experiences. Right. Um yeah, I mean, very, you know, different 
trying to think the best way to describe it. Um, you know, I think Ireland was a, a little bit slicker. He came from that Parcells school. Um, but like I said, I think Hickey just seems like a regular kind of guy, like a real straight shooter. And it so, all depends you know, on... He's not, he's, not, he's not revealing much. You know, when we were asking him in the combine a million questions about free agency. Like, I'm not going to tell you guys anything. It's that whole competitive advantage. Um, you know, I think that, that can Belichick be overrated style. sometimes. Right. You know, what, what's the harm in saying they're negotiating with somebody when you know he's coming back? But, um, yeah, he's not, like I said, he's not going to be the most exciting GM. He's not going to make a lot of headlines, I don't think. He's not going to ask a player if his mom is a prostitute. I don't see that happening. <laughs> That's so, awesome. That that's exactly what I'm looking for in a GM. Not going to ask the players if their moms are prostitutes. The bar has been set. The bar has been set high for the Dolphins. Well, we're going to take a really short break. Andrew, stick around. We're going to be right back in just a minute. This is the Only in Miami show. is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can follow me on Twitter, at Grant Stern, and we are chatting on there live. Uh, please check out the show's website, www.onlyinmiamishow.com. We're here with Andrew Abramson of the West Palm Beach Post, the Palm Beach Post, excuse me, and he's at Abramson PBP on Twitter. Andrew, thanks for coming on tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Great, great. So... What, what else, Dolphins? What, what else? else, Dolphins? I mean, geez, you know, like we we talked about Hickey. Look, uh, Dennis Hickey is obviously a very different gentleman than than Jeff Ireland. But uh, who's he going to pick to be the running back next year? Is he going to bring back Thomas or Lamar Miller? Um, yeah, I, th- I think Lamar Miller comes back. I don't know about Thomas, but uh, I think they're either going. You know, I think they might get somebody in free agency. You know, I don't know if they're going to go from the veteran type, like a LeGarrette Blunt, someone like that that's available. Uh, they could take somebody in the draft. But I think you get a new guy in there who competes and probably ends up with a starter, and you see Lamar Miller more as a change of pace back, which I think would be better suited for him. Well, it, are we drafting a running back? Is this a free agency thing? I mean, who's available out there in the free agent world for as, as far as running back goes? There still might be some cuts you don't know about, some veterans. Right, but I mean, is there anybody like obvious that's that's you could throw a boatload of money to? 
Yeah, Ray Rice. Ray, <laughs> I would sign Ray Rice. <laughs> no, not after he punched his girlfriend out. Oh, he punched his girl. Okay, that's it. He's cut off the team. Can't have him. Not a good look. No, not a good look. I don't know. I mean, what well, do you look, Jet fans, Dolphin fans, we all can agree that how many more years do we got to hang out and wait for Brady to go away and then we could really get after it? That's well, the that, real question, I guess, right? That's a great question, Andrew. You think Brady's going to be off his game next year? Is it is it finally his uh, time or is he going to keep annoying us? Uh-oh. We lost him again. Sounds yeah. Oh yeah. yeah! Hey, welcome back. <laughs> now we so, were saying I was a Jet fan. I'm a Jet fan. You're a Dolphin fan. How much longer do we have to wait for Tom Brady to go away so the rest of us can go and play? Tom Brady, he's going to play for a hundred more years. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> not human. Dinking and dunking his way. A <laughs> hundred or a thousand? <laughs> I just want him to go 10, away 10, already. Go years. away. <laughs> Ten thousand years of Tom Brady. <laughs> It's terrible, man. Terrible. You can't say that. We sit here every week, Jets, Dolphins, Bills. We can all just bang our heads against the wall, and, you know, it's still Tom Brady's division. So, now, you know, one thing I do think the Dolphins have going for them, though, is I do think Tannehill's the second-best quarterback in the AFC East, and it might not be saying much. <laughs> that's saying nothing, dude. I'll give him that right now. <laughs> that's saying nothing. What no. about Mike Vick coming to the Jets? I heard about that today. <laughs> Sounds like yeah. fun. Michael Vick, is that what you yeah. said? Yeah, Michael Vick to the <laughs> Jets, be a I great heard. Jet. <laughs> that would be, I mean, that's just what the New York media needs, Michael Vick at quarterback. You know what? Maybe you can get Vick and Ray Rice. Ray Rice is a okay, Westchester boy. And Incognito, because he's going to be a free agent. Yeah. And then you could have the bullying, wife-beating, dog-fighting team. Under hey, Coach Ryan, perfect. Under Coach fun. Ryan, the yeah. guy who likes, <laughs> rolling likes to the smell HBO your feet. cameras. I love <laughs> you guys it. are really rolling rich there if you do that. <laughs> yeah, and now, throw Mark Sanchez back into the mix. Just now, now we got a tweet from Dennis, and he's actually a, a radio host at Jets Nation Radio. He says that we should get Ben Tate. Oh, Big Ben Tate, yeah, Big Ben Tate. He's you know he's always been the handcuff guy. Yeah, like the guy and that you have to get in because everybody has Arian Foster. And you always got to find that. Yeah, Ben and, Tate's the handcuff. Right. And and anytime you got Arian Foster, you've got to be ready for him to get hurt because that's what Arian Foster does. And that's what you always want to find. You always want to find that handcuff, handcuff to come in and uh, give him the chance. Like Michael Turner, right? He was Ladanian's handcuff. He went over to Atlanta. He was the man there. So right. you always want to find that guy and, you know, catch lightning in a bottle for a couple of years. Because well, by the time, you know, he gets a shot, he's already been a backup for a little bit. And, uh, yeah, that, that's probably what you'd be looking for. That's a good call, Ben Tate. No, it is a good call. And uh, Same as what the Jets did with Chris Ivory, right? He was like the third running back on uh, uh For on New Orleans, Saints. right. Yep. Yeah, the Pierre Thomas, Ingram, and Sproles. He was the fourth guy. Exactly. So there's no room for him, and he comes in, and he's a little bulldozer. I love him. Yeah, no, he's a baller, man. I mean, there, there's a few other handcuff guys. Name some handcuff guys. There was there, Who was the guy on uh, the Raiders that was backing up McFadden? Uh yeah, Rashard uh Rashard Jennings. Yeah, Rashard Jennings. Like basically, I'm so as, not in football mode right now. I'm trying to. You know, if if I started Rashard, he had a bad night or bad day. Nah, but as soon as run. I he cut had a great him, run, though, he had a great year. I mean, well, Darren McFadden's probably gone on Oakland. He might be available, but you can't take him. He's so injury prone. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, who else? I mean, there's got to be somebody out there that Dolphins can actually sign. I mean, gosh, man, you know, I got to give uh, I got to give Ireland props where it's due, in that he did sign Reggie Bush. But then what happened? Reggie Bush, Bush had walk. two great years, and he let him walk. We like Bush. 
We like Bush. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be a great pickup. A great, great pickup. Again, I mean, but he signed, right? Reggie's Reggie's gone. Yeah, Detroit. I mean, how do you? Where do you go from here? Where do you go from here? Look, I don't know. I'm worried about my Jets, man. I'm getting ready. Um, Talk to me. What's up with these Jets? It's still so early. They, they just could sign the Vic. They so can we're sign so far away from seeing you know who, which veterans get cut and which rookies are coming in and going to make an impact. We still got a long way to go until. But we know that you know uh, you know maybe what it is is that Tony Sperano, it must be advising the Jets. That's why they oh, franchise the kicker. Stop? Well, it's like Isaiah with the Knicks. You know no, how you Tony can get Sp- rid of the guy, but you can never get rid of him. Really? Tony Sperano's more a Dolphin than a Jet any day of the week. Come on with that. Really? Yeah, definitely. He's from Connecticut, though. You're he from. Gave- you lived in Connecticut, yeah. so he must be a big Jets fan. No, but listen, Tony Sperano gave you your best year in the last twelve years. Why are you knocking a guy, dude? <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> Well, he also gave us the most field goals ever in a year. So what? He still won the most games for you in a season more than any other coach, more than anyone else. You know what? I give the Tuna the credit. Tuna gets the credit. Sorry. Tuna gets all the credit. You're the only Dolphin fan that ever said that probably You know what? He gets the credit. He was smart. He knew if he came in the year after the crash, you have the easiest schedule, the best draft position. He, He turned the roster over, and they made it work, and they got... Quite lucky signing a certain former jet with Chad. with a spectacular noodle arm. arm. I mean <laughs> old noodle arm himself. Old noodle arm in the playoffs. Very cerebral. Now if we could only get Jay Feely back. I mean Jay Fiedler. Or both. We could use both. So what about baseballs in the air now? You know, I'm just looking forward to seeing uh Jose Fernandez. Yeah, he's dynamite. He is dynamite. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of disappointed. Unfortunately, though. he only plays every five games, so I don't know what else you guys got going on here in Marlin country. Uh, we've got Nathan Eovaldi, a guy who can fire in the high 90s. Nice. Uh, you know, we've still got Mike Stanton. We brought Mike brought in Saltamachia. Giancarlo. Giancarlo. As the ladies like to call him. You know, I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm, I got to admit, I'm mildly disappointed with the Marlins, though, with the organization. Last year, they gave us a spectacular deal on tickets. Um, and we, we really appreciated it. We went to a lot of games. I mean, there's four of us. We split an 82-game season, and we probably went to 70 of the, the 82 or maybe more. Uh, this year, they just they said, you know what? We, we don't want to do it. So yeah. it's, it's tough, you know? I mean, at the station here, I want to say we're, what, about 12 blocks from the, the stadium? So I think we'll be at the games once in a while. But uh, When they play the Mets. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What's up with the Mets? Are they going to? Uh, this is a stepping stone year for my Metsies. Harvey's out for the year with Tommy John surgery. He was obviously... Well, that's because they gave him a big contract. No, not yet. Not yet. He's going to earn his stripes. He, he was a starting pitcher on the NL uh, last year in City Field. But a lot of young arms coming up the ranks. Hopefully everyone stays healthy. Uh, we have a young guy, Noah Syndergaard, coming up, who I'm very excited about. And uh, Zach Wheeler. And Bartolo Colon. The fat toad is uh, wearing the blue and orange this year, and uh, <laughs> the fat toad—that sounds promising. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we got to wait till Harvey. Get, we got to hold the fourth down one more year. I think uh, give the uh, Will Ponds one more year to recuperate some uh, made-off losses. <laughs> you know, and it's by the only franchise year, you have to sit there and plan your season based on how are you going to figure out what to do with your birdie made-off problem. Well, hey, at least my owner got 
victimized by Madoff. He didn't made off the city. <laughs> That's like true. your owner did. You know what? He had help. My guy's a victim. Your guy's the thief. Our guy is the thief. But but you know what? He had a ton of help. A ton of help. Car- Carlos Alvarez helped him. I mean, even Miami Commissioner Mark Sarnoff signed off on that deal. There's a lot of politicians with fat that pockets. threw their lot in there with the Miami Marlins to, to make that stadium. But, you know, it makes me think of the best event I've been to there. What I call it the Corruption Bowl. <laughs> what was that? It was a soccer match between Venezuela and Nigeria. Oh, boy. <laughs> How do you get that together? Know, yeah, seriously. But, you know, they're both members of OPEC. And, you know, to have it in the, the Marlins Park, I thought it was appropriate. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't. It's no, but I'm I'm really looking forward to this season. I really think that that uh, Jose Fernandez, he was the guy last year already. Yep, and he's a leader. And assuming that the team he's is still young, horribly though. injured, he still does a lot of those young, you know, young antics. He's got to get over. His young antics are two point three ERA. I mean, that's not bad to start with. You ever make your way up north uh, to check out spring training at all during March? I'm ready, man. When are we going? Let's go. Well, a road trip up to Jupiter. Yeah, have you been to Fort Port St. Lucie yet? Um, I have not been up there yet this year. Last year I was there. I'm definitely going to try to catch a game or two. It's a great feel. It's a great ambiance, you know. If it you is. Love baseball, just being outside on a beautiful uh, March 82 degree day, smell of grass, popcorn, peanuts, and a brew. There's nothing better. Well, uh, that's the great thing about spring training. There's no barrier between the fans and the players. It's not it's like awesome. being in one of these, you know, 30,000-seat stadiums. I mean, I went and caught a, a ball game at uh, UM's Mark Light, which I, I haven't done in years. Uh-huh. It's about a 2,000-person stadium. I mean, you're Cozy. right there. Like, the worst seat in the house, it would cost, you know, like 150 bucks or 100 bucks. So, anyway, we've got one minute left. Let's make it count. Let's make it count. Uh, so predictions about what? Predictions what am I predicting? For, predictions. So, what are the Heat going to do tonight? Are they going to beat the, the Bobcats? I think the Bobcats snuck back in here. Like I said, a little preview of uh, of the playoffs here. What do we have? Sixty to fifty four. Miami started the third quarter. I hope they lose tonight, and I hope they keep tanking it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank everybody who's on the show tonight. We had Andrew Abramson talking to Dolphins from Palm Beach Post. I want to thank Jenny Lee Molina from 305 Cafecito, which is at Versailles on Wednesday at 3.05 p.m. And I'd love to especially thank Joe Garcia and Mark Caputo for coming on and talking politics. This is the Only in Miami show, and we'll see you next Monday night. <laughs>